welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is sandhya seshadri from multifamily four for you welcome sandhya Thank you so much for having me here Rama. This is a pleasure to be in a podcast and add value to your listeners. Sure, thank you. And a little bit about Sandhya. Sandhya Seshadri has invested as a limited partner, key principal or general partner in 3000 plus doors totaling 200 million in assets throughout the United States. Sandhya has been a leader in the equities markets for over 20 years and had moved into commercial real estate due to the tax advantages and the ability to uniquely force appreciate each asset. Sandhya is passionate about personal and professional growth. Sandhya has lived in Dallas for over 30 years and her knowledge of the local market and neighborhoods makes her the ideal boots on the ground asset manager for properties in Dallas. So with that Sandhya would you like to add anything to your background? Um just that you know like many other immigrants I came here with two suitcases and you know a food budget of maybe $8 a week over 30 years ago when I came and since then you know thanks to a lot of uh, blessings been able to get my college degree went to the corporate world like many of us do because that's what we're taught to do you know go get make good grades get a job and work and my technology company was fantastic for that but they also sponsored me to get a business degree part time while i worked full time for them and that's where my knowledge expanded from the technical world into the business side and i started trading equities on a very regular basis and uh, that's where i built a lot of my wealth also not just from my job and uh, what brought me into real estate i've always been curious about real estate i think we all grow up knowing that there's always rental income from uh, renting properties and we as students or when we start out in life we always go through renting a property before we own our own so So renting houses, renting apartments is part of life for many of us. So I always wanted to get into real estate, but I did not, you know, want to do things like a handyman, which is tenants, toilets, trash, and termites, the four Ts that I dreaded when it came to single family rental. So that's why I stayed away from single family. But when I heard from a friend that multifamily investing, you can actually afford to employ a property management company to take care of all of these day-to-day hassles of rental properties right they can take care of that for you and you can be at a higher level as an asset manager when you buy properties that are large enough Uh, to do what is called a syndication method where everyone pools their money together to buy large properties so that's what led me to this multifamily investing where I'm fully focused now so the last 3 years I've been fully into apartment investing and my primary market is the Dallas Fort Worth area which again is where I have the most knowledge having lived here for 31 years great and thank you so your local to dfw market why it is so important to understand the local market how it is helpful so knowing your market is going to help you identify the correct places to invest real estate is all about location 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 and you know even 3 blocks down from an ideal location if you find an apartment or a rental property that location may not be as great it may have crime issues the local laws change also between little counties and you know in the past year and a half we've been through covid eviction laws vary again from one place to the next not 
not that every tenant has to be evicted for not paying rent. It's the ones who take advantage of the system, right? They don't want to apply for rental relief. They don't want to come to you for help. They don't actually show your record of trying to get new jobs. They don't come to you for partial payments. They don't want to work with you at all. They just want to sit there and take advantage of the system. So you need to, for example, know what the judges are going to tell you when you try to evict a tenant, right? Who's not coming forward, doesn't sign the CDC declaration form, doesn't make any effort. That's one reason. Another reason is just crime is huge. Business uh, development there is huge. And also just your knowledge of the market helps you figure out where, for example, the school system is better uh, or where the population is more drifting towards and the trends, what kind of zoning laws exist in one area versus the other. So if you have a lot of empty land around a subject property you're looking into and you don't know what could get built there, you need to have that knowledge, right? Because that can completely affect the future of your subject property. Great. Yeah, those are great insights. And so would you share any of your breakthrough moment in multifamily space? For me, everything and any new investment always starts with education. So my breakthrough moment was, you know, I decided to go attend a weekend seminar and immediately sign up for a mentoring program, putting in a large amount of money, just like a college education, because I knew that that would propel me to shorten my cycle from zero to, you know, knowledge to where I can run this on my own. It also provided me with a very large network of people who were doing the things I want to be doing. So it's important to surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to do so that you can get there faster with their help. Because it's all these hallway conversations and little texts and emails that help you, that shorten your cycle time to learning and help you avoid making big mistakes. So for me, my breakthrough was signing up for that mentoring program and going full out and giving it my best. Awesome. So would you share a little bit about your investment philosophy? My investment philosophy is always about how can I add value to the residents of this apartment community in ways that they feel is worth spending a little bit more. For example, in my most newest acquisition, we are planning to add washers and dryers in every unit. Clearly, if you think about a Texas summer or a cold winter, hauling your laundry basket to a common coin laundry place and waiting there for your laundry to get done and coming back, let alone the cost per load of three dollars, right? If I install a full-size washer dryer in every unit, they're willing to pay me that $50. And I'm not really stretching that household's budget by adding this $50 to them. You see, because if you think of families with kids, especially what a hassle it is to have to take your laundry somewhere else and bring it back. And when you have newborns and spills and stains, and you want to just run a laundry load. So simple conveniences like that, I look at how without really stretching the residents budget significantly, how can I still get some value that I can provide to my investors with whom I go in and buy these properties, right? So my investors also need some money back. So I try to create a win-win situation that way. Got it. Got it. And you're very passionate about personal and professional growth, right? So would you expand on that? 
Yeah, I think that the mode of continuous learning should always be in our mindset. It starts there. And so no matter how old you are or how experienced you are, there is always something new to learn in your profession. And you grow in both professionally and personally by, again, surrounding yourself with the right folks. You are sort of the sum of the five people around you that you spend the most time with. So choose that wisely. So I'm constantly investing in my education in this multifamily space but also try and grow personally. So uh, mindset, and then comes the specific mechanics, as my mentor says. So always I invest in a mastermind kind of program to improve my knowledge and education. I try to learn on the job as well by being open to suggestions from other peers who've been through some of what I've been through and also who have even more localized market knowledge. Same with your property management company, the lender you work with, et cetera. So that continuous learning philosophy, even from my children, I learn good work ethics, right? I teach them by practice, but I also learn from them with their curious minds and the types of questions they ask. So if you learn from everyone around you, I think that you'll never get bored and you'll always be continuously improving yourself personally and professionally, whether that's through attending conferences, right? Go with a specific agenda on that conference. See if you can ahead of time know what those conference sessions are about and say, I'm going to learn these three things at the end of this conference and be sure to do that or say, I'm going to connect with five people who have this background or knowledge or skill set, or I'm going to talk to this vendor who is uh, very knowledgeable on this particular aspect of apartment investing that I need to grow some more and learn a little more into the intricacies of it, right? So cost segregation is one example, or insurance, right? What kind of coverage do you have now for pandemics, for snowmageddons? What can I do to uh, reduce my delinquency? You know, so you always learn new strategies when you visit, when you attend conferences, or when you network with peers, as long as you're focused and you have a specific list of things you want to learn. So true and so powerful also. And thank you for sharing that. And would you share any one creative or unique idea you have implemented as part of, you know, underwriting or asset management uh, for any of your deals to increase, you know, NOI? So when it comes to underwriting, right, you have to dig deeper. You can't just believe whatever story is given to you in an OM, which is an offering memorandum by a broker. So let's say that the broker says you can implement reserved and covered parking and get $50 more, et cetera. Well, you have to dig deeper. So you have to definitely visit the comp properties, which is a comparative properties within a one mile radius of the subject property and see if that's something the market will bear. Are these residents going to pay you 50 extra dollars to park at a specific spot? Do they really care about covered parking? So things like that, I would implement those things after I take over a property and do a survey of the residents and see if that's something they want. And then go in and stripe the parking lot or get permits to build that covered parking, etc. So I wouldn't underwrite it with the expectation that yes, I can implement these strategies ahead of time, but cable Wi-Fi is getting really popular. And now Wi-Fi is not really a luxury. It's more of a necessity. So people stream Netflix all the time, whether or not they use it for work at home. So Wi-Fi is something that is very readily something you can offer to your residents. So, you know, shop around for different vendors who sell that and then be aware of how much the local provider charges for the same speed of Wi-Fi, like Spectrum as an example. And then compare the two and say, at what price point and service will my resident adopt? So in our next property that we just 
has acquired actually in the past uh, two weeks, we are planning to offer Wi-Fi to every resident. And it's in about 18 months, it's going to be included with the rent. So it's not really going to be an add-on. Right now, we're going to start as an add-on and implement it and offer it as a free something per month, free month of Wi-Fi, come try it out before you buy kind of philosophy. But in a year and a half, I see us including Wi-Fi and including washer dryers, which is another thing I mentioned earlier, as part of the rent. So you're going to pay one rent and it's going to include Wi-Fi as well as laundry, both of which are necessities for your resident, right? They're not luxuries. Versus if I go in and spend $10,000 or $5,000 to do fancy interior upgrade, which is what you hear a lot from most pitches, right? Let's go do interior upgrade. Well, when do you get a chance to do interior upgrades? You can only do an interior upgrade if that resident moves out. While it is occupied and you buy a property with 95% occupancy, where is your opportunity to do interior upgrades? It's going to be one at a time, slow and steady, right? And just for putting a nicer countertop and prettier fixtures to charge a resident $100 more, I don't know how much they see the value of that, right? So trying to find ways by which the resident sees value and you can extract some of that money. That's kind of my way of underwriting creatively in a way that I feel is a higher probability of getting that resident to pay for it. Yeah, that's great insights. Yeah. And would you share a little bit more about your company's acquisition process, business plan and exit criteria? Acquisition process really starts with knowing your market. And like I said, I know my Dallas market so well that I don't spend a lot of time on other markets. So right now, let's say there's 20 deals out being listed by brokers. I can scan the 20 addresses and tell you there might be two that interest me. And even within those addresses, the size of the property, the age of the property, et cetera, also matters. So a very quick way of screening it is having your little box defined. So if you're going out there, you know, don't go fishing everywhere, right? I want to fish anywhere in any ocean, in any sea, in any lake or pond. That's too much. Really narrow the criteria down. And that way you can at a glance say, I'm going to go after this or I'm not. That's a big piece of the acquisition part. Obviously, in terms of numbers and underwriting, et cetera, a very conservative underwriting helps you because it gives you additional pad when things go wrong, like COVID strikes, snowmageddon happened to us in Texas. We had a deep freeze for like a week, which we're not used to. Usually we come above freezing within a 24-hour period. So we just couldn't deal with that. And there's a lot of burst pipes kind of things. The point being that the more conservative your underwriting, is that the better off you are in when things go wrong. So what do I mean by that? Your exit cap rate. So understand what is cap rate. And exit cap rate means what is the cap rate you're thinking it's going to be when you're ready to sell your property. So your exit cap rate should always be higher than your purchase or entry cap rate. That's a very important thing by at least 0.75 to 1, you know, 100 basis points, 75 to 100 basis points. So if you go after a deal on the passive side or the active side where the purchase and exit cap rates are equal or the exit cap rate is actually lower than the purchase cap rate, then it's very, very aggressive and I would recommend against it. So that's another philosophy for acquisition, right? The underwriting has to be solid and conservative and your rent bumps have to be realistic because you've done a thorough study 
of the comparative uh, properties within a one mile radius. So you know what kind of a rent increase is reasonable and what is unreasonable. And what is the source of your rent increase? Just making something more fancy with fixtures, that's great. But when are you realistically going to be able to do it if it's occupied? And why would a resident really want to pay you $100 more just for having a fancier countertop or a nicer light fixture, right? Unless it's really old, 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 like 60s build that has never been upgraded. Then you go and modify it and it looks nice. Okay, they might be willing to pay for it. But you got to address the bones of the property first, which is your location, your crime, uh, things like pest control, attending to work orders, etc. All of those play a big part into customer satisfaction. And your customer is your resident. So if you take care of them, they'll refer other people to you. They won't leave. They'll stay in your property. Then you have a lot of good renewals. You don't have to worry so much about turnover costs, right? Because if a resident leaves your property, goes elsewhere, you have to go in there and turn that unit and you have several days that the units are down before you can rent them again. And then you have to spend the money to clean up after another resident has left. So you're better off taking and serving your customers, taking good care of them so that they stay. So these are some of our philosophies that go into on the acquisition as well as asset management side. Got it. Yeah, that's so much great insights. And would you share like any of your best multifamily investing experience so far? This is going to sound like bragging, but my best multifamily deal is the one that I syndicated with two other partners back in 2019. The property has done phenomenally well. Uh, We have excellent retention there, 100% pre-lease, 100% lease today. And we bought it in 2019, August of 2019. So just getting to two years, uh, we purchased it for about 6.75 million. Uh, It's 86 doors. And right now we are selling it in just two years because one, the market conditions have been extremely favorable in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But secondly, the asset management strategies uh, deployed actually work. Everything worked. We have an excellent property management company who helped us get there. And the market conditions, uh, again, helped us a lot. So we're going to be doubling our investors' money. So anyone who invested, let's say, $100,000 in our deal two years ago is going to come back with $200,000 in just two years. So that's my best performing deal. It's the deal that I syndicated with partners. And of course, uh, keeping a close watch on the expenses and only spending money on amenities that the tenants appreciate and want to pay for. I think that's very important. Yeah, that's awesome. So would you share any of your worst or challenging experience and any multifamily deal? Yes. So as a passive investor, I've invested in many deals and I've also syndicated my own deals as an operator. And my worst passive investment was in a deal back in fall of 2019 with someone who looked perfect on social media. Like they are so amazing on social media. They have thousands of followers. They have a strong construction background. So I was impressed like everybody else and wanted to be connected to this person so we could have future business together. They're also based in Dallas. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, despite their strong construction background, what they lacked was asset management background. So they've never actually managed an asset successfully and turned it around back to investors. They were also starting out 
with their first deals back in 2019. So they did not have a more experienced partner in their team to guide them along. So they just left it up to property management company to run the property. And despite, you know, all that's happened in the last two years, like I gave you just my example of my best deal, right? Which was my own deal that I did in that same time frame. Their deal was so bad that they came back to make what is called a capital call. But a capital call means they go back to the passive investors and say, guess what? We don't have enough money to even make our mortgage payment. We need your help. Give us some more money. And when they realized that a capital call was going to dilute the shares, they quickly changed it and called it a member loan. But essentially, the concept is that instead of being able to run the property, make money like they initially projected and give us distributions and eventually a great return, they went the other way. They did poorly on the property. They spent a large amount of capital expenses through COVID, when in fact, you should have stopped all CapEx, you should have focused on delinquencies, you should have focused on helping, you know, your delinquent tenants with applications for rent relief, etc. Instead of focusing on those things, because they have a construction company, they decided to continue all the construction projects through COVID, when all of us, the rest of us as operators carefully stopped spending any CapEx. So everything they did with asset management was wrong. And I'm paying the price as a passive investor. So the lesson learned from it is, Really vet your operators. Don't believe what's in social media. Instead, ask for their track record. Make them list the properties that they actually own and then ask them for a reference from a passive investor who's invested in those properties to truly see if the deals came through compared to the initial projections. Ask them for their asset management experience and who's on the team who has a track record, successful track record of running properties because we're in the era of asset management. It's not just about looking perfect on social media and raising money. It's about actually delivering what is right for your residents and your investors. Those are your two customers in this apartment investing space. So what I did based on this experience actually is I developed a checklist on how to carefully vet your sponsor in addition to vetting the deal. And I can make that available to any of your um, listeners if they visit my website. My website is multifamilyforyou.com where the four is the number four and you.com. So multifamily, number four, you.com. And if they provide their name and email address and a short message, I can send them my checklist to vet a sponsor. And, you know, when you think about the typical investment in these deals being in the range of $50,000, that's a huge amount of money, in my opinion. So just like when you shop for a car or appliance or anything else, Think of how much time you spend researching and put in the same amount of work before you send your hard-earned money to some, um, you know, capital raiser who sounds perfect on social media, but has no track record or partnership to back that and give you your money back. So that is my worst performing deal. Um, with a lot of pressure from me, they finally listed it for sale. I hope I get my full principal back. I don't think I'll get much more than that. Sure. And thanks for sharing your story. And also thanks for sharing your uh, link for you know getting that document. Thank you very much. And what is your current focus and share something you're excited about now? I'm very, very bullish on the multifamily market, especially in the Dallas area. I think if you think about the future, the next couple of years, there's just a lot more of what we call the tailwinds. Everyone is moving towards these markets, the south, uh, the shall we say the southern belt of states like the Phoenix, Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, parts of Florida. And there are certain markets that are just very, very attractive for people, jobs and businesses to move in. 
So investing in these markets is always a sure thing. And within that, if you pick the right places with low crime, good schools, all the things that would attract someone like you or me to go and live there, right? Pick such markets and invest in real estate because there is definitely a housing shortage. We saw what the single family market did in the recent months. Uh, there were like 50 buyers for one house. So what happens to the other 49 buyers, right? Who also need to move to the same location. One of them got the house, the rest of them need an apartment. There's also the trend of millennials as well as aging baby boomers. They no longer want to maintain a large house and yard and all of that. They want an apartment where they just push a button and someone comes and fixes their problems, right? Maintenance, et cetera. So that is a big trend. The population trend is huge. Another thing that happened specific to Dallas is through COVID back in 2020, there was about four 40% less of development projects for new apartment buildings approved compared to the exact same time in 2019. So in two years, you're going to have 40% less of apartments than you had initially projected compared to 2019. But you have a greater amount of people, greater population drift and jobs moving in here. So you're going to definitely have a shortage. There is going to be a huge need for apartments. So I would much rather invest at least a good portion of my portfolio in real hard assets rather than just the speculation of Wall Street. So go from Wall Street to Main Street on at least a portion of your portfolio. 90% of all millionaires in the world did so through real estate. So I'm very bullish on apartment investing in these specific target markets, which includes the Carolinas, which I know is one of your markets. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. And any one advice that have impact on you? I think my advice is always about persistence. I have followed it and it's worked. And I would say that to anyone else. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing out there in the world or their perfect lives as you see in social media. You stay on your track and you persist with your goals. So for me, that's apartment investing and it's a specific criteria of apartments. I don't care that the world might be doing hotels or self-storage or mobile home parks or I don't know, Bitcoin or anything else, right? My focus is this. I'm going to stay focused here. And that's what I say. Focus and persistence will get you to your goal. If you can tune out all the other noise and only spend time with the people who are going to get you to your goal. Sure. So any one personal habit that have major impact on uh, your success? I never give up. It's persistence again. If one path doesn't work, let's say you went about it one way and that way doesn't work for me. I'm not going to give up my goal. I'm going to say, well, Rama's method didn't work for me. I'm going to try a different method, right? So you just have to figure out what you have to offer and then make it worth the time of someone with more experience to help you get there. Sure. And the same way, once you get to your place, you know, go ahead and lend a hand to somebody else, but never give up and find a way to get there. If somebody else's way doesn't work, find your own way of getting there. Be your own trailblazer. Sure. Powerful. Yep. And any one book that have major impact on your life and what way? I think I was already sort of practicing that, but certainly Atomic Habits by James Clear is excellent. So as someone who's an engineer with a mathematical background, if you think of the exponential effect of a good habit and the exponential downside of a bad habit, right? Put a negative exponent versus a positive exponent on a habit and see the incremental effect of that. A little habit, a little good habit a day can make a huge difference in a few months. And time really flies the older you get. So even if you have starting from scratch, starting from zero, take one good habit. Okay, I'm going to walk 10,000 steps a day. That's an example of one good healthy habit, right? Or I'm going to read for 20 minutes a day and block that time. So whatever it is, the incremental effect of a good habit done sequentially and, you know, methodically and persistent is going to have a huge effect on your life. So never underestimate the power of a small good habit. 
Sure, I totally agree on that. And how are you giving back to community? So giving back to our residents is huge within our properties. So we have a monthly activity for all the major holidays for sure. Last year, for example, we gave a free 15 pound turkey to every resident in our property. And so that covers the most expensive cost of a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, so tenants are super grateful. We had an Easter egg hunt. We're going to have a back to school fair next week for our residents where we give away school supplies and have popsicles and get everyone come out and we have a drawing for gift cards and things like that. So when you appreciate your tenants, you also have a strong connection with them so that when they have a problem, like I'm not able to pay rent, they feel comfortable coming to you. And that's a really good win-win situation. On the personal side, I'm very passionate about math. So outside of my my real estate world. Um, I tutor kids for free on math so that they have confidence because math is not about making good grades and getting to calculus. It's about having financial literacy so that you make good decisions for life. When you go to the store to shop or when you go to a you know business venture, you need to really have a strong financial background and you can't be afraid of math, can't be afraid of numbers and keep saying, oh, I'm afraid of math. I'm going to let my partner figure it out. No, it's your hard-earned money. And we know of so many celebrities who go bankrupt. So teaching kids about math and continuing to make them uh, get some math confidence is a very big deal to me. Sure, sure. And thank you. And how can listeners can connect with you? I mentioned my website earlier. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, multifamilyforyou.com, which is multifamily number four, Y-O-U.com. Put in your name, email address, and send me a message and we'll connect. Sure. And thank you, Sandhya. And it's it's a powerful episode. Thank you very much. Thanks for sharing you. Glad to help. Thank you for the honor of being on your podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.